0: Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. It's so great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, I am Dr. Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, doing on air what I do in my day job, is talk to people with uh, different musculoskeletal injuries, whether it be knee, hip, back, shoulder. So I love doing here on Docs and Jocks what I do at uh, Texas Sport and Spine. And if you ever want to find out more about our show and about uh, our, myself and my co host, Ferris Potter, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D O X N J O X.com. I am joined each week by Ferris uh, Potter. He is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris, great to have you on the show today. Good to be here. Yeah, man, we got a lot of exciting guests today. We've got a great show, a lot of stuff to talk about. Got the AFC Championship, NFC Championship coming up. You and I got to watch uh, Case Keenum, an Abilene boy uh, from the big country. Our show is broadcast out of West Texas in the big country, and that's where Case Keenum is from. Ferris and I got to watch that game together. I think I was hugging complete strangers in Phoenix, Arizona when that game on, went on, Ferris. That was such a boring ending, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh God, I fell asleep at the last yeah. three minutes of that game. Yeah, horrible. just the
0: opposite. Maybe the greatest game of all time, man. It was so much fun. It to might watch be game. best finish I've ever seen. Yeah, best truly. finish
1: I've ever seen in a football game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, we're gonna have on David Smith coming on. Uh, David is a special forces uh, operator who was one of the very first special forces guys to be put together after the uh, Iranian hostage crisis. Those of you who are old enough to remember that back uh, in the Jimmy Carter administration after that went awry. Then he uh, his special force group was put together uh, with an army group that uh, went in and did special intelligence force or intelligence gathering. And we're going to be talking to David Smith about his training that went into that, Ferris. I thought, you know, we always talk about Athletes and all the different training that goes in athletes. Talk about David Smith and all the great things that these special force athletes, basically what they are, have to do. So we're going to be talking to him. And so we're going to do all that and more here on Docs and Jocks. And remember, you can always listen to us multiple different ways. We're on multiple different cities now and multiple different radio stations. But if you don't get us in a certain area where you may be traveling, you can always listen to us on iTunes, on your podcast. Just go to podcast, type in Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, There you can follow us anytime, anywhere. You can also be part of a social media crowd, which has been growing in numbers uh, with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. You can do that. Just Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You won't want to miss this week's episode, talking to all a lot of great uh, special guests as well, talking a little NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball is coming up here in a month. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks.
1: You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air.
2: My girlfriend beat me playing
1: one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you
2: need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense.
1: Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good
2: to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only 549. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste,
0: you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports and Spine. Also uh, with me today is my co-host, Ferris Potter. And, Ferris, tell our listening audience what you're doing. I know you're the broadcaster for Grand Canyon, but, man, you were on a whirlwind trip with the basketball team right now, traveling all up in the northeast in the uh, blizzard, arctic conditions up there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had my, my, my other job. I had a sales meeting in Boston. So we flew into Boston. It was snowy. It was actually not bad though. It's kind of nice, you know, for a day or two. Yeah, right. Got in there, and um, I had a buddy that was like, "Hey, let's meet downtown for lunch." And I was like, "I could Uber," but I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm not a wuss. I can I can go a mile <laughs> and a half in 30 degree weather. I mean, what am I? Am I a weenie? So I I, I walked like a mile and a half downtown. Had had a dinner at this place called Durgan Park, which is like founded in 1827 or something like that. Wow. This is the type of place it is. The waitress walked up, and I said. I said, hey, what specials do you have? I want an authentic Durgan Park meal. And she pointed to a big pin that said Prime Rib Special on, oh, her, on her thing. She said, she, said, she said, what do you think? You think I'm the special? And I said, yeah, I thought your name was Prime Rib. And she goes, ah, you're eating the Prime Rib and walked away. And so I ate Prime Rib. And then I uh, I asked a guy, I said, hey, the Celtics are playing tonight? And he said, yeah. And I said, how far is it? He goes, it's about a 15-minute walk. So I walked over and caught the second half oh, of the that's Celtics. Oh, so cool, game. man. A little Madison Dude, Square at this, Garden? Yeah, Matt, at, uh, yeah, they call it TV Garden now. But oh. it's, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so that was fun. Um, but this is where being fit, you know, being relatively fit comes into play. Yeah, it does. I'm downtown and I'm thinking I'll take an Uber back. It's like a 45 minute walk. It's like 25 degrees out. But then I'm like, once again, I'm like the Ubers are taking forever. And I'm like, I'm not a whoosh, right? I can I can do this. <laughs> so I walk back and my phone dies halfway back. So I'm in Boston downtown. I'm trying to find my hotel. I see it in the distance. I end up down below my hotel on some like service streets. I'm running down like a highway. With <laughs> nobody on it and i see i have to climb, I have to I have to jump two 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 fences go across a railroad track run up an embankment and then hop a lot about a 7 foot fence and then Dude. there's my hotel and i'm like I can do this, so that, I did it, and I that got is back.
0: so right up the alley of our next guest. Our next guest is going to be an Army Special Forces operator. I bet he's done a few of those kind of treks in his time. David Smith, what do you think, Ferris? His are a little more serious than mine. Mine <laughs> yeah.
1: was just get back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't work out, I'll call an Uber. His yeah. are a little more serious. Yeah, the I difference is compared. someone was
0: not trying to shoot you. You weren't <laughs> behind enemy lines. All those kind of things. You know the little details. You know. There's but, a
1: little more on the line. I was just a little chilly. Yeah,
0: that was a little cold. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh, so you so
1: see now? Dude, Where how KC was it, man? How
0: was this prime rib? You never finished your story. How was a oh, prime rib?
1: Prime rib was awesome. It's interesting, and Dr. Dan should be out with me on this trip. You'd oh, love the place. I love it, man. Prime rib was awesome. I had prime rib and clam chowder was a special. What could be more Boston? Yeah. Watching a game at uh, at the at the Garden, and then uh, you know running around downtown Boston at uh, midnight trying to find our hotel, and then flew into KC. It's actually colder here. It was actually kind of nice in Boston, but yeah, we're in KC to play. Uh, Kansas City Kangaroos tomorrow night. So, oh,
0: there you go, man. Hey, by the way, Ferris says uh, he eats primal. That's uh, one of the things he does. Or what's the other name of what uh, you do? You do another thing, primal and something uh, else. Pa- they, paleo, paleo. paleo. Primal, so, for yeah. those of listen, you listening, know, paleo, primal—they're low-carbohydrate diets. So, if you're listening to people and they say, oh, I've, "I've heard it all kinds of different names—primal, uh, paleo." There's they, they, the, the books call it different things. Basically, if you reduce your carbohydrate load. Uh, in your body, what your body starts doing instead of burning carbohydrates or sugars, that's another way to put it, it starts burning fats. And when it burns fats, it gives off what's called ketones, and that's called ketoacidosis. So you become a very good burner of fats is the way to think of that. So Varys eats lots of meat. He eats lots of uh, vegetables, but eats very low carbohydrates or bread, potatoes, those types of things. If he does eat them, it's a complex type carbohydrate like a, a sweet potato or something like that. So he eats very little carbs, and he eats – he also does intermittent fasting. Ferris is like on 18 different – we were just talking about this the other day, so I know what he's on. 18 different diet plans. He's
1: intermittent fasting, which basically means you
0: eat when you're hungry
1: is what that means. It's a potter diet, yeah. yeah. You you know, of course, if if I'm somewhere like that, I had clam chowder, probably not a total paleo thing, but there's a lot of good fat in that too. But, yeah, just like bulletproof coffee, uh, no processed carbs. I try not to uh, limit them. And then intermittent fasting. But I, you know, everybody's really scared about intermittent fasting at times. But if you eat your dinner like at seven o'clock and you're done by eight and then you skip breakfast and you just have lunch at like noon, that's a good intermittent fast. And eight of those hours, you're asleep, right? So yeah. you don't even really miss it. So yeah,
0: it's amazing what you're doing. I've started the primal thing. We'll see how it goes, man. I'm, I've, I've been on and off. I'm like, uh, they call me uh, Trey right now because I'm like three months on, three months off on these things, man. This <laughs> probably does me no good. Hey, My body's like know- so confused right now.
1: You know, maybe my thing is, hey, give it a shot. See how you feel. If you feel great, keep doing it. My my mom has arthritis, and you know, part of the a lot of the carbs give increase inflammation and things. I mean, That's you're the theory. doctor, but they yeah. increase inflammation, and inflammation is a big issue with people as they get older. And I said, hey, try it, try it. She never did. She finally did it. She said, I'm going to do it. 21 days, be totally strict on it. She lost like uh, she kept doing it. She loved it so much, she felt great. She kept doing it. In like a month and a half, she lost like 20 pounds, and she wasn't really overweight. And how did she feel? So That's the she, key to me. She felt great. There you and go. And now she. She said, "Well, can I never eat ice cream again?" I'm like, "Well, of course you can. You're not. You're not dead. You know, have some yeah. ice cream every now and again. Just don't have like, <laughs> you know, a bowl of ice cream five nights a week at midnight. You know, yeah, that, maybe right. that's not a good idea." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So anyway, those that's what happens from a physiological standpoint when you go low-carbohydrate, paleo, uh, primal, those type of things. I just like want to go try primal because I like telling people, "What are you doing?" I'm saying, "I'm eating primal." I don't know. It just sounds pretty bad, eh? I mean, it just sounds pretty Got cool, it. man
1: you got to get some of those Vibrams, Vibrams, five-finger uh, shoes, too, the toe shoes. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. I'm out. And I, had to, I, had those in the, I had those in the lobby this morning. It, it is fun, too. I walk down, and I say, hey, I need to get a, a medium Americano, and can you blend this into it? And I hand him a, a cup of—I uh, I bring my own butter and coconut oil with me on the road. Oh, my god. So I, got, I hand him a little cup, half full of uh, grass-fed butter and coconut oil, and Ooh. the guy goes, I remember you from last year. And I go, <laughs> I know. I remember you, too. And he goes— Okay, so they, they, <laughs> they make me Americano and blend my uh, there butter. There you
0: go, man. That's up. a bulletproof coffee is what that is, by the way. So, Hey, uh, one of the biggest stories in the news right now, Ferris, and we've got to talk about this because it's all over right now in the sports medicine world, is Tom Brady. Right now, Tom Brady was just found out. It announced three days before the AFC championship game that Tom Brady has now suffered a thumb injury. And so we know very little about it because, in the words of Bill Belichick, I released the injury report. What else do you need to know? So that's what we know, that he has a thumb injury of some sort. It looks like he is wearing a glove on his thumb hand, on his right hand, which is the side his injury happened, his throwing arm, and there looks to be a brace underneath the glove hand. So I'm just gonna give you kind of a overall diagnostic uh you know, picture of what this could be. We call it differential diagnosis in medicine is what we typically call that. So, you know, when you when you we, we've talked about skier's thumb we call it gamekeeper's thumb where you tear the ligament on the inside of your injury. That's the one I'm thinking is most likely involved because imagine if you're holding a set of skis and you're going down a hill and your skis is catching the ground and it jerks your thumb backwards towards your forearm. That injures that ligament on the inside of your thumb, and that's what Tom Brady was doing. He was handing the football off is how it goes, and he had a running back run into him, and so I think what they did is the football probably hit that thumb and pulled it back. Now, David Chow, who's a former San Diego Chargers team doctor, who've had him on Docs and Jocks numerous times, he also commented, and he said the other things that could be possible is it could have he could have possibly dislocated the thumb joint right where the thumb ties into your hand. That's called your um, MCP joint, your first one. He also could have injured his CMC joint, which is the joint where your basically the base of your thumb ties into your wrist, and he could have also I've never seen it dislocated the uh, IP joint, which is just the one thumb joint in the thumb. You only have one in your other fingers. You have two joints in, in each finger. In your thumb, you only have one. It's called an interphalangeal joint. So those are all the things that he thought it could have been. You also can tear your web space. There was a story out, a rumor out, that he possibly had to have stitches. So if he had stitches and he had an x-ray, which was negative, those are the two pieces of medical facts that have come out on this. It's a possibility that he tore the web space in his between his thumb and his index finger, and uh, they were just making sure he didn't dislocate the joint itself. You can also sometimes dislocate a joint severely enough that you actually have a fracture associated with that, and you have a tear of the skin. So that would be an open fracture, and that's uh, somebody was mm. guessing that's what it was. I don't think so because he has a glove on with a brace, I think he probably has what's called a gamekeeper's thumb brace on there or a short thumb spike, a splint or orthoses on his uh, thumb, and it's keeping his thumb from being pulled out away from his hand too far. If he has an ulnar collateral ligament sprain, a gamekeeper's thumb or skier's thumb, that's the same injury, Ferris. You you and I have talked about Kurt Warner back when he played with the Giants. He couldn't grip a football very well and couldn't throw it very well. That's when Peyton Manning's – not Peyton Manning, but uh, Eli Manning took over the reins in New York and so yep. it was it took about a year or two before Kurt Warner could get his ability to grip a football back and he used a special type of glove to help him but that's the same type of injury if it is that type of injury definitely doesn't have enough time to heal from that before the game starts it could be a real difference maker in the Patriots versus the Jaguars game it could we could see Bortles beat Brady that's a real possibility if that's a uh, if that is the case
1: you know it's interesting um I got to say, Belichick at this stage is a breath of fresh air because he's not coming out like <laughs> other coaches and owners saying, diagnosing it for yeah. us. He's just saying, hey, he's on the injury report. Dr. Jerry um, Jones. But so, so you really think, I mean, if it's, if it's any of those things, it's going to affect his throwing. But it's if it's thumb. that, which it makes kind of sense, it's going to be that gamekeeper skier's thumb. That could really affect him. Like, he might not be able to throw the ball.
0: Yeah, and the problem I mean, he could he's throw so a-
1: good at throwing the ball in a tight window. And yes,
0: that's exactly what I was going to say because he's okay, so precise – that he loses that ability to be that precise because he never seems like he throws a wobbly pass either. It always has that real tight spin, and to get that real tight spiral, real tight spin, you have to have a strong, strong grip, which is you know half of your grip is developed from your thumb opposing your fingers. So, yeah, no, it could definitely be a bad problem.
1: So maybe if he can't grip it very well, he should just deflate the ball a little bit? A little bit would help him, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. I mean, look, I was up in Boston. Everybody at that company is a is is a Patriots fan. They were all downplaying it. Oh, it's not a big deal. Uh, but they were they were all half and half. They were all kind of pissed off a little bit that they traded Garoppolo for that much. I was going to say. They all everybody I talked to. Yeah. Sided with Belichick they, it's crazy. They were all like, if he had a traded Brady next year and turned the reins over to Garoppolo, we would have been really happy. We think is going to be an all-pro for the next 10 years.
0: Wow, man. That is amazing. Yeah, that did, did come into play. They were talking about that, how it now looks like losing Garoppolo for a well, they get one second-round pick for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo to the fourth. Yeah, they
1: traded Bursette for less, uh, Jacoby yeah. Bursette for less. They traded Garoppolo, I think, for a second-round pick.
0: Yeah, so they're not getting a whole lot for him. And he could be a real difference maker if Brady was down or he was ineffective because of the thumb. I guess now you have – who is the backup? Uh, who is it? Hawk did some uh, crack research. Who is the backup now?
1: Yeah. I don't even know who it is, dude. Uh, like, I can't hear you. I literally have no idea who it is. Oh, it's Hoyer.
0: That's right. Yeah, Brian Hoyer is going to be the backup if he gets hurt. Yeah, He had some good years
1: with the Browns. He did. So, yeah,
0: he's a good backup. You yet to have somebody. Not as good as Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously. But, yeah, Hoyer would have been definitely better. So, hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. When we come back, we're going to have on Army Special Forces Operator, uh, David Smith, Master Sergeant David Smith, talking about his training. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks.
2: You in part by Joe Walker, State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spy. Touchdown! Now back to more docs and jocks with Doctor Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, great to have you today. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, our sports medicine radio show. This is Doctor Dan, your longtime sports medicine physician. Hey, don't remember you can catch us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D O X N J O X. Hey, thanks for making us one of the fastest growing podcasts out there man you can tell your friends about it and uh join up and subscribe and love to have you part of our show that way as well hey i also want to give a big shout out to firehouse uh subs they uh, sent us a great uh, uh sandwich today for lunch and man that meat the uh, under 500 calorie uh beef and salad man it was awesome so i want to say thank you to chad fulkerson our good friends at firehouse subs hey uh ferris potter is my uh, co-host he's the voice of grand canyon university we're very much uh Looking forward to our next interview, we are very privileged to have on air with us Army Special Forces Officer and Golden Knight Team member, uh, Master Sergeant David Smith. David, thanks for so much for being on uh, Docs and Jocks. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we've had you on before in the past because you're one of the uh, coolest uh, guys we've ever had on air because you parachute into – Major League Baseball, World Series, uh, Super Bowls. You're the guy that parachutes in with the Golden Knights. And that was a great interview if you ever missed that one. You go to docsandjocks.com and listen to that interview. But I thought we would have you back on air today because, I man, you were a part of one of the elite special forces the Army has ever put together. Early on, right after the Iranian hostage crisis went down, and for those my age, we remember that vividly. You know, Jimmy Carter was in yeah. office. They go in to try and take back the Iranian hostages. There's a couple of, you know, helicopters that go down. We lose some of our you know, great uh, army men and women. And so your force came about in part right after that. So tell us about your your, your special operations unit that was put together and uh, how it got formed in the first place.
3: <clears throat> well, after the, uh, the abortive attempt to rescue the hostages, uh, one of the things that came out of it was uh, we didn't have enough intelligence, uh, no people on the ground. Yeah. And the CIA had been gutted by President Carter and, we needed military people on the ground so we could look at a situation militarily and find out what we needed to uh, breach, to clear, to uh, prepare for the rescue force to come in. Right, and <clears throat> that's what this unit did. Was basically, uh, it was formed to collect more intelligence for the second attempt that never went. Right. Uh, in the book Killer Elite, uh, it details a lot of the the right. prep and uh, and. Uh, conditions that we were going through back then.
0: Ferris, unbeknownst to him, when we were having you on today, he had actually read that book before. Killer Elite is a great book. I've just started it. Uh, Dave was kind enough to give me that. Tell us when you, so now you're in the Army, they're putting this force together. How did you get to be part of it? And talk to us about that training. That's what we really want to understand. We're talking about special forces. How do you train to be an elite force that goes behind the lines of the enemy and collects, gathers data? you got to be in great, obviously, top condition. Tell us about how you were selected and how you went through your training.
3: Well, I had been uh, a medic on an A-team in the 10th Special Forces Group. And when they were forming this unit, the guys that were forming it were asking their peers, who would be a good medic for this? Who would yeah. be a good demo man? And <clears throat> one of the people they asked was one of my old team sergeants in the 10th. And he said, uh, David's a good medic. And uh, they uh, gave me an interview and I said, uh, we got a classified mission. A good chance that you won't come back from it are you interested in it. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you married at the time? Uh yeah. Oh, were you? Wow, and, that's gotta be tough, man. And, uh no, I'm sorry for the for the initial I wasn't. Wasn't yeah, yeah. The, yeah. That's uh, a single guy who responds that way, by yeah. the way. That's all yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. If he wants to go home. Uh-huh. He right, right. Uh and uh, the the thing we did most uh in preparing for special forces training and during uh assignment is a lot of running. Yeah. A lot of uh rucksacking. The only way to get prepared for carrying a heavy rucksack is to carry a heavy rucksack. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did a lot of core strengthening sit ups, uh push ups, pull ups, things like of, that. A lot of core stuff, yeah. And and that's basically it. And uh, I was an avid runner at the time and that's how I got ready. And <clears throat> the thing that really keeps you going is to do that. And then when you get in the situation where you need it, you have that muscle memory built up, yeah. and, and it yeah. carries you through.
0: Exactly. Hey, I want to tell this for our athletes. Our athletes who are out there listening, this is a special forces operator whose life counted on how good a shape he was in. He said, if you want to be good at carrying a rucksack, you got to practice carrying a rucksack. If you're a baseball player, a football player, a basketball player, when you're working out and you're doing strength conditioning, mimic what you need to do in that sport. If you're a basketball player doing tons of bench press, that makes no sense. David, when you, already, when you want to carry a rucksack, you practice carrying a rucksack, right? Exactly. Exactly. Just a, little, just a little side note there in our sports medicine world. Ferris, you have a question for Master Sergeant David Smith?
1: Yeah, David, how, how much of training did you guys do? You said you ran, you did some core. Did you guys work out every day? Did, you have a, did they put a program together for you, or did you guys just all kind of get together and do your own thing?
3: Uh, we did every day, we, we did what we call PT, physical training. The A teams we get together and run and do the core exercises or hand to hand combat, uh, things like that, or go for a rucksack march. You don't want to do the rucksack too much with heavy weights because then you start breaking down, and if you get a call in the real world, uh, you're already equipped. You uh, yeah. So <clears throat> uh, something that is just force or uh, short of the maximum that you can put out. Uh, to keep you conditioned and uh you you just never really know what you're going to be called to do uh on any given day so Mm -hmm. you do the the basic core strengthening and then i would usually go out and and go for a run after that
0: so david give us your there's always like one memorable day or training event that you're like i can't believe we just did that what's the give us the craziest training event you did and preparing for the special operations you know behind enemy lines give us your craziest training day
3: uh, <clears throat> a lot of it was uh, dealing with Task Force 160, the night, night Stalkers. By then, they were Task
0: Force That's 160. Scary. That just sounds scary, man. That's a uh, cool name, though. Night is. Stalker. They are helicopter wow.
3: pilots that fly low and fast on night goggles. Wow! And they're some of the best in the world. And yeah. It, it is fascinating to be in. one Are you of jumping birds. out of those? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. They taught us initially to fly them in case a pilot was uh shot was shot or incapacitated <laughs> so uh we learned Dude you're like Rambo man I'm telling it's you so it cool. was, yeah, It's that's, so that's cool Yeah that's what I was going through my head when I was going through I said this is so cool <laughs> Yeah you're and, Rambo before Rambo was out Yeah and it was uh <clears throat> one day uh after the advent of the fast rope the big uh, yeah. 2 inch braided rope yeah. uh one of the the little bird pilots said I need to find out what it's like when i have a heavy rope so i want you to get as much guys as many guys as you can on the rope okay in a helicopter yeah going fast well no this is he he uh comes in fast pitches up stops throw the bag with the fast rope in it and then you go at one 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 right right and he wanted to see balance wise what could be tolerated yeah so we came in (laughs) blazing in he pitched He pitched up, stopped it, they threw the bag, and the first guy was going. The second guy was going. We had five guys in the back of this little bird. Wow. It was amazing. And the last guy, the fourth guy was on the rope. I was on the left side of the bird. The rope was on the right side. So I dove through the bird, hooked it with my my – the the fast rope with my elbow,
0: and I'm sitting there spinning around coming down like this. And I'm going, if my mother saw me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've done amazing, amazing jumps in your your career. I mean, you've done – high altitude right Mm because a lot of times if you were going to go behind enemy lines you got to fly really really high and do a high high altitude jump so talk to us about some of those where what the crazy stuff you did uh
3: a lot of them we had several different scenarios that we were star warsing uh to to do if we needed the ideal scenario was to be flying on a jet route uh commercial jet route Exit the aircraft and deploy your parachute at twenty-five, thirty thousand. So they'd feet.
0: have no idea that you were actually right. Special it, Forces To is them, it's in. just a normal Another airplane one. flying right. in the
3: air. Yeah, and we open our parachute in with a compass and a GPS or whatever we had at the time. I guess you're too small to show up on radar. Uh, most of the time, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the lesser developed, lesser less sophisticated countries didn't have pinpoint radar. Yeah, they could see there's a plane. But there wasn't enough, really enough uh, metal on us under parachute to give a signature.
0: Uh, Yeah, exactly. If it
3: did, it was like the size of a bird, Mm -hmm. something like that. Right. And you might spend half an hour under canopy. It's cold up there. uh, Yes, sir, buddy. uh, You you
1: you say half an hour?
0: Yeah.
3: You're falling for half an hour? No, you're under parachute for half an hour. When do you pull
1: your your parachute when you jump out at 25,000 feet? Like how how soon after you're
3: out
0: of the plane, like what altitude you pull it? Oh
3: well, if it's a hey ho, high altitude, high opening, you step out of the aircraft, okay. uh, get in a stable body position, then pull your ripcord. Oh wow.
1: So
0: it's immediate. Yeah. Uh, you're floating it, for half an hour, dude, underneath yeah. your paris- and, parachute. And, it, and you yeah. got
1: oxygen on then or Oh yeah. Yeah, you have to yeah, have you oxygen get on the helmet and you just uh-huh. wow.
3: Float and down. You follow the uh the baseman who sets up uh the heading you're supposed to follow correcting for the winds, and you all land together and drive on with the mission. So
1: wow. that's hey ho, but then there's halo, right?
3: Right. <laughs>
1: that hey. fall, you free fall a long way before you open. Yeah, so right.
3: Cool. <clears throat> Usually the training halo jump altitude and the show altitude for the Golden Knights, too, is 12,500 feet. That gives you 60 seconds of free fall down to about 2,000 feet and open your parachute, and that's about a <laughs> two minute parachute ride from there. Uh, For Halo, uh, you might go out between 12 or 25 or 32,000 feet, free fall for two or three minutes, and then open and then be under
1: canopy for a couple of minutes. So it's a long day. I mentioned it was cold. (laughs) (laughs) What does that feel like when when you're free falling for two or three minutes? it's actually kind of boring uh
3: if there's somebody with you if there's somebody with you you can fly up to them and and grab their hands and go woohoo and stuff like that but uh (laughs) uh, up there that high uh it's just you look at the curvature of the earth you look at all the stuff below you and it's fascinating and mesmerizing but until you realize
0: you're f- you're falling into a foreign country behind enemy lines. Right. You have yeah. to
3: stay sharp and stay on focus <laughs> and and not, Wow, well, this is a good Disneyland ride. Yeah. I like this.
0: <laughs> All right. You're a medic with special forces, special operations, mm-hmm. parachuting in behind enemy lines. Obviously had some injuries parachuting in. There's got to be things landing on objects, landing, breaking a heel or breaking oh, yeah. a leg. So tell us some of the injuries that you're always preparing for in, in high altitude jumps like that. Uh <clears throat>
3: Obviously, hypoxia if someone was having a problem up in the aircraft, uh, but all you had to do was put them back on the, the O2 console, and that would yeah. clear up. I always had to worry about getting the bends, things like yeah. that, when, on that type of situation. You but always
0: think of that, but like deep sea diving, but you guys actually get that at high altitude jumps too, huh?
3: Y- if you go up too high without pre-breathing oxygen, you can get bent on yeah. the way up. Yeah, so bends
0: are the uh, nitrogen bubbles getting caught in, trapped in your uh, bloodstream, and then it causes severe right. you know, injuries. To, to the bloodstream uh, huh. uh, the majority of things uh, that i dealt with were uh
3: fractures sprains uh trauma from landing on something hitting a tree yeah things like that especially at night because sometimes you can't see anything right and uh you just have to assume the parachute landing fall uh, body position and do what you've been trained to do and let that muscle memory kick in and yeah and uh it will prevent it but uh a lot of things that uh that I would do, I would use Boy Scout medicine for. Yeah. The <clears throat> the uh, sprained ankle treatment was to get a triangular bandage, hook it under the heel of boot, crass it, uh, cross it behind the feet, around the front of the feet, tie it up, loop it, and that keeps the, the boot stable stable so the person can walk on right. it. Right. And I've had to do that a number of times the guys in the field and, and they go, Hey Doc, that's great. You yeah. know,
0: I can I can walk and it doesn't hurt. Where would you learn how <laughs> Boy Scouts. That's right. And hey, we're talking to uh, Master Sergeant David Smith, who was with one of the very first Army Special Operations units that was Special Forces that went in after Iranian hostage crisis. And, David, uh, we do this all the time with uh, coaches, and uh, we always talk about if you, you know, with all your experience, you're, you know, there's lots of kids out there who think, man, I want to be a Navy SEAL or I want to be an Army Ranger or I want to be a Delta Force guy. If you, if you know, looking back on all your wisdom and all your what you've gone through doing what they want to do, what would you tell a young man or or a young lady who's wanting to do special forces or special operations? Some of the wisdom you gained over all these years, thinking back about your career. Uh,
3: the first thing is to get in shape and stay in shape, and that, that doesn't mean be a, a jock necessarily, mm-hmm. but run, stay
0: agile, uh, stretch, do kind the kind of quarter. kind of what Ferris did when he was running through Boston the other night, right.
1: Uh, Not so much, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So stay
0: agile. Be ready yeah. at any time. Got to be in great conditioning, obviously. Right. And
3: then one of the biggest things is never quit. And if you can get that inside and make that your philosophy, then you can gut it out when you really need to. Yeah. But to do the strengthening exercises, uh, do the running, cardio, things like that, yeah. Uh, Eat right, cut down on the garbage. You know, I'm a big garbage fan, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry> <laughs> but uh, uh, do that. And never quit. Yeah, and never quit. And that's the biggest thing because I had guys in a in the unit that we were running a selection course, and they would come up to my point. They were going point to point uh, for a grade, and they sit down. And go, I'm frustrated.
4: Yeah,
0: and I hey. go. Hey, first, you have one last question for uh, David Smith.
1: Yeah, I know we got only a little bit of time, but David, we talk about that all the time in sports—the mental aspect of—and it, and that's what you're talking about. Never quit. Do you think most guys are just that you met it, or you you born with that, or is it something you? I was going to ask that.
3: Can
0: you learn that, or is that something
3: it's, just God given? It's it's something that you have to understand about yourself, which is the part of the whole Special Forces Assessment and Selection Course. Once you learn that, mm-hmm. and it sometimes it's kind of hard to get that through to yourself. Once you learn that then that helps you overcome pretty much anything.
0: You can always go further than your mind will yeah. tell you. Oh, yeah, and yeah. that's
3: amazing what your body can do.
0: Wow, that is. And you've been there and that's you've done it. a great that. way to put it, yeah. I want to say thank you from all of us here at Docs and Jocks. We interview a lot of great athletes. I think uh, our athletes who are in the military who do things like special forces like you, man, I think you guys, we are, we, uh, you deserve a, our debt of gratitude because of what you've done. People don't, I think, realize the sacrifice you've given. You're a young man who's been asked to go on a mission where you may not come home. They say that openly to you, and you do that for your country, for the love of your country, for the love of of the United States of America. Man, we want to say thank you from all of us here at Docs & Jocks. I know our audience is going to love this interview. If you want to read that book, it's called what again? Killer Elite. Killer Elite. I've I've just started it. So Ferris loved it. So get that book and find out about David Smith and the uh, Special Forces unit. Man, thank you so much for being on Docs & Jocks. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs & Jocks after this short commercial break.
2: and jocks brought to you in part by abilene sports medicine hardin simmons university and lawrence hall chevrolet touchdown now back to more docs and jocks with dr dan and ferris
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Just catching our show for the very first time, and we are a sports medicine radio show that loves to talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world, basically a sports entertainment show with a sports medicine niche. Uh, my co-host each week is Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University out in Kansas City where he's doing a basketball uh, broadcasting tonight. Ferris, I think that was one of the coolest interviews we ever did. We basically had Rambo in uh, studio with us with uh, Master Sergeant David Smith who uh, was part of we, one of the very first special operations forces to uh, ever be put together by the army it's really really cool man
1: yeah that that stuff's amazing what they do and how they how they how they do it but i I liked what he said about the mental aspect where he said he didn't say you had to be born with it he said you had to learn it in the sense of you had to learn that almost like you're saying you have to learn that you are capable of doing it yeah and that's kind of that's kind of a good way to put it you know yeah it's not like you learn to be you know, strong mentally. Hey, you need to be strong mentally. Learn how to be strong mentally. No, learn that you already are strong. I mean, learn that there's more. You can always give more. You can always do more. You yeah. can always make it, you know? Exactly. I so that was really cool how you said that. Yeah, you
0: never quit. That was, that was part I like, because I like one of the podcasts I listen to is Team Never Quit with Marcus Luttrell and Dave uh, Rutherford, and they talk about people who have extraordinary stories who never quit. That's what they always talk about, you know, being a Navy SEAL, is they're really looking for not only elite physical athletes, they're looking for really more so than anything, the elite mental athlete that just says, "I will never quit." And so, if you've ever yep. read Marcus Luttrell's book, Lone Survivor, I don't think he ever quit because how he survived that and did what he did for our country is amazing.
1: You know, it's funny. We were, I was flying in yesterday to Kansas City and on on Southwest. You know, they let you watch shows, and uh, that was on Lone Survivor. So I watched the opening of that, and I'm just always amazed at those. I think they, I think nowadays they do a really good job of making those movies pretty realistic too. You know, well, he it's was not on like, set.
0: He was on <clears> set. Yeah.
1: Not like Rambo, you know, where he gets he gets a uh, uh, you know he gets like which I love Rambo, but he gets like a gun that holds nine bullets and he kills forty two people, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not like like that anymore. It's more realistic and I, I what this, these guys do is amazing.
0: Yeah, I watched the show with uh, Mark Wahlberg and he said uh, he was talking about Marcus Luttrell. And he said, "I got to be friends with Marcus Luttrell, but at the same time, Marcus Luttrell wanted to be known throughout all the actors that they were going to get this right because it was about Marcus Luttrell and his memory of his friends." So they were going to get it right. So he said he always had Marcus chirping at him in between takes because he was like, hey, this is what we did. We didn't do that or this. This is how we do it. And this is how we talk to each other. And this is what went down. So he said he got it very correct. So you're right, man. They get it right nowadays because they got that guy in his ear.
1: Yeah, they get those guys on the set, too. You know, I mean, he was on that one. I I look at uh, Blackhawk down, you know, they have different uh, special operators on the set. Many who were there, that 13 hours, you know, the Benghazi story, those guys are are there going, no, 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 that's not how we do it, you know. Yeah.
0: right. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> so cool, yeah. So we're going to have on later on, we're going to be interviewing a former professional basketball player and head basketball coach at Mesa Community College, one of the all-time winningest basketball coaches, uh, Sam Ballard. He's going to have a great story, too, as well. So, hey, 1st let's cover a couple more stories while we got a second here. We talked about the Tom Brady thumb injury earlier. I saw, I was watching the uh, – a game between the Rockets and the LA Clippers, and it happened to be the game uh, that went down with the uh, you know the, the Houston Rockets players end up going into the locker room after mm-hmm. the game yeah. because it's Chris Paul's return to the Los Angeles Clippers first time. So Blake Griffith is basically there, and you got uh, Chris Paul who formerly played with them, and the game is chirpy. It's chirpy all the way from the from the beginning through the end. So multiple things happened. The sports medicine angle of this story was James Harden. One of the guys who goes to the locker room of the Clippers after the game is actually not even playing in the game. He's out with a hamstring injury. So James Harden is, you know, last year, I think he was a runner-up to Steph Curry last year uh, in the NBA for the uh, MVP award. He finally comes back. Uh, this Actually, he's on Thursday this week. He played 25 minutes, scores 10 points, 7 assists, 2 rebounds, and they get a win, 116-98, over the first-place Minnesota Timberwolves. So the Houston Rockets are on their way back. They're obviously playing better with James Harden there. But that game on Monday night was amazing because everything that you could possibly think of, the drama of the game. So you got, first of all, Chris Paul coming back, playing against uh, Blake Griffin. So Griffin actually runs into coach Mike D'Antonio. I mean, I don't know if you saw that or not, but Griffin basically runs off the court, runs into the Houston Rockets coach, pushing him. Then they get into it, him and a couple other you know, Rockets get into the game. Eventually, Blake gets thrown out of the game. Eventually, later on, uh, Teresa gets thrown out of the game for the Rockets. So they were saying, the Rockets were saying, that Austin Rivers, the the son who plays for his dad, Doc Rivers, on the Clippers, was mouthing off to him. So they sneak in a back way that Chris Paul, who formerly was a uh, Los Angeles Clipper, knew how to get to the back way to the locker room. He shows his Houston Rockets teammates. This is like warfare here, man. Goes mm-hmm, the back mm-hmm. road, back hallway, into the locker room. They send up a decoy to knock on the front door of the locker room while they sneak in, sneak in the back door, and they confront Griffin and Austin Rivers in the locker room. And it ended up being, I believe, it was four guys. Chris Paul, James Harden, uh, Gerald Green, and Trevor Ariza were the four guys. Uh, Green and Ariza are the only two that eventually get uh, suspended for doing so. They faced down Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers said, I didn't say what you said I said. "said," And then they they all backed down. So no fight actually took place. They need to go back and watch McHale and Bill Lamber and uh, Robert Parrish. Those are some real fights back in the day, by the way. So these guys don't end up having any fight. To add to the drama of this, DeAndre Jordan, who plays for the Clippers, he's their center who's out currently with an ankle injury, he says he wants to be traded to the Rockets before – this game occurs. So you got the best player on the Clippers wanting to be traded to the Rockets. You got the former Clipper Chris Paul saying he wants to go back, or he's he's coming back for the first time to the Clippers after he's been traded to the Houston Rockets. And there's all kinds of stuff going on. You got players running into coaches. It was amazing. It was like a soap opera
1: watching that game. What do you think about? We've been all that. I affairs? think the Rockets put this much energy and effort into uh, beating the Warriors. Uh, they might have a chance. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's so misplaced and it's so funny. You called it exactly right, doctor. It's a soap opera. It right? is. Not that I want to see guys fight, but there's so many guys in the NBA who want to look tough and act tough, but they never want to fight. Now, look, I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. I'm not a tough guy. You know me. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> but I don't lip off all the time to people. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: hey, you got you got I some mean, history with Mike D. I pop off. Yeah, you got some history with Mike D'Antonio, the coach. With Mike now. D'Antonio? Yeah, Mike D'Antonio. You got some yeah. history with him because he was out there with the Suns for a long time. He really was – I thought he was going to fight Blake Griffin when he ran into him on the sidelines. Is he a pretty hot hothead or is he a pretty level-headed guy?
1: Well, those older guys, you you called it, you know, those older guys are used to if you lip off, we're going to go. They're not used to these new young guys who are like, no, no, we're going to lip off and bow up and then when we – actually confront each other later, we're all going to back down and be buddies and hug at the next time we, we go. You, you, I mean, those guys would look for each other months down the road, you know, back in when D'Antoni played and when Marley played. And you mentioned those guys, Mikhail and yeah. all those guys, all, you know, the guys from the Pistons, they would circle on their counter. Oh, we play you. I mean, look at those hockey guys. Before the face-off, they're fighting yeah. because of something. I mean, those guys, if they blip off, they're fighting, and they know right. it. In basketball, this day and age, I mean, even when they throw a punch, that guy threw a punch of the other day, and it was like the weirdest, wonkiest punch. It missed the guy by about a foot and a half, and the guy's seven foot tall. Yeah, yeah. How do you miss a guy that's seven foot tall go over his head by a foot and a half? It was like his punch was like, I'm going to stick my arm straight out to the right and just swing it. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? I mean, you, you put crazy. those guys – it'd be great because you put those guys with some hockey players, like go to a bar and have a basketball team lip off to one hockey player and it'd be over like in fifty fifteen seconds. You know I've been
0: around a lot of hockey players, but I, you and I've uh, seen Dan Marley. That dude is a big man. You interview him almost after every game. He's the coach at Grand Canyon University. Him, Bill Lambier, uh, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale. They're just you don't realize how big those guys are until you're standing next to next to them. They are big
1: grown men, man. They are big dudes. I mean. Look, I'm not encouraging fighting. And, I, you know, it was interesting. I was watching Pardon the Interruption, and Tony Cornage had an interesting point. He said, in basketball, of all sports, you've got to stop the fighting because it's a non-helmeted league, like there's no helmet on. So the faces of these guys are a big part of it, and they see them, and there's no helmet for protection and stuff. So sometimes in these other leagues, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I thought, oh, that's an interesting point. But his, my thing is, you know what, if you guys do this, how about at halftime? We just bring out Chris Paul <laughs> yeah. and Austin Rivers, yep. stick him in the octagon, and let Let's him go. go. Let him go. That's right. Yep. I bet people wouldn't pop off as much. I mean, nobody would pop off to Draymond Green because he'd be like, I'm going. Let's go, you know? Yeah,
0: it would be almost be like if uh, when uh, Blake Griffin and, uh, I think, Trey uh, Arazi What's his name again? I forgot. It Trevor. Uh, A- Trevor Ariza. 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 Trevor Ariza. When they both got technical fouls, he got kicked out of the game. You should immediately then have the ability to go to a split screen where those two guys leave the court. They go into an octagon. They immediately hash it out. You can watch that on one side
1: of your split screen, and you can finish watching the game on the other. That's the way. Oh, your viewing would go through the roof for the MMA (laughs) thing. Get Dana White and Joe Rogan in the other room, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: Man, I tell you what. Speaking of this being a soap opera, Charles Barkley came out, and uh, LeBron wasn't picked as the overall, I forget, the captain of the all-star team or something. There's a player's yeah, choice. Yeah, top vote getter. Top vote like getter. captain or something like that, yeah. and then he gets
1: to choose the team. Is that what they're doing?
0: Yeah, so the players didn't vote LeBron in. And so Barkley came out and said the reason is is because he's a drama queen. So he's all full of drama. <laughs> so, I mean, do you agree that the NBA is turning into, like, this big drama soap opera deal where, you know, you hear <laughs> stuff like this going on more often, or are we just paying attention to it more than we used to?
1: No, I th- I think it is. I think it's a different I mean it's a different generation of players. I really think this, and nobody agrees with me. Everybody says baseball's in trouble. They're so worried about pace of play. I think baseball is in a great shape. I think NFL has some issues, and I think basketball has some issues. Because people our age who have a lot of money to spend, we're kinda tired of this crap. You know? We're yeah. kinda tired of this garbage. I mean it's fun to laugh at, but at the end of the day it's like, oh, grow up, you know. Um but I, I really think that 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 the NBA has some has some issues, and yeah, I think I think LeBron is. It sounds like he is a drama queen, but at the end of the day, he's the best player in the game. I mean, how is he not the number one vote getter? I mean, he's the best player in the game. Yeah, he is. Yeah,
0: definitely. If you're just going on I'm sheer kidding. talent, size, talent, skill set, man. I mean, who would you harder. take over him?
1: I mean, you, you, there's always
0: the guys that you would. I mean, the last year's uh, MVP top vote getters were uh, Steph Curry. You know, his, he is definitely a different skill set than lebron uh james harden who tends to be a pretty good overall guy but let's just face it i mean i'm, I'm just trying to give you some names here to yeah, give you an no, argument, get but, yeah no i get it yeah it's LeBron like the whole
1: michael jordan argument yeah. you know i'd be like well i love gary payton i love sean Kemp. but yeah they're nice yeah but at the end of the day it's if you michael said jordan. you could have michael jordan or, sean, or gary payton who you take it carl Malone, you know yeah no, yeah. definitely. Yeah, there was one guy. They all knew it back in that Michael Jordan was the man at the time. Hey, it, can I tell you? Yeah. Do we have time? Can I yeah. tell you, Mike? If if I was if I was the owner of the Suns or the GM, I would back channel to LeBron James because I think he's a free agent. And I would say, listen, I want to make you. I want to go back to player coaches. I want you to be the. the oh, I want yeah. I'll sign you. He does it already like, anyway. I'll give you like three hundred million dollars, and you be the the GM, the coach, and my star player. And you get all. Their I've salaries. got Devin Booker. I've got Devin Booker. I've got all these young guys. You bring like one other buddy with you, but I want to make you a player coach. I mean, when they're then nobody's listening to the other guy, anyways. So why yeah. not just own it and be like, you're the player coach? Could you pay him as a GM
0: and you pay him as a coach, and then you pay all him as it. a player? So the GM and the coach doesn't count against your salary cap. That would go a long way. All of
1: it. Yep, exactly. I would. He would make like 300 million as a player, as as a coach, <laughs> and he'd make like a dollar. As that's a great. See? Yeah. We get
0: we can solve all things here. We can solve all problems here.
1: And I, moving to another sport, I would be on the phone with Nick Saban if I was the New York Football Giants, and I would be or Bill Belichick. I'd be saying, "Gruden got ten years, hundred million. I'll give you eleven years, hundred and ten million. Just please come and save my franchise."
0: Yeah, exactly. Here's another one for you for the All Star Game. Why don't they have a draft? So let's say uh, you let's say the players. So you have two captains of the team. So I don't know. You pick LeBron and Steph Curry. And so you would then say, "Okay, That's you That's who i pick. See guys, how easy that was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so That's the, the
1: obvious. So the pick. players
0: pick who they want to be the captains of those teams because the NBA All Star Game is just it's just boring, man. So yeah. you pick those two as captains. Players pick them. Then they pick the other four starters that they want to play with. So they're like all this drama. You know how you always with the draft. You know the NBA draft, and you got the Probably. Major League Baseball draft, and the NFL draft, and how's all that drama? There'd be all that. So they're not picking. All the team, they just pick the top five.
1: And then they'd be all pissed at each other because they didn't pick them, and they yeah. all have all that drama, and everybody would <laughs> be all hurt and upset and everything. Yeah. How about this, too? If you really want to make the all-star game interesting, you do it that way, and then have, like, Under Armour comes out and says, hey, we're making this big marketing push to be, like, we're defense, and say whichever team holds the other team under 85 points, everybody on that team gets $10 million.
0: Oh, yeah, because they would actually play the game. That would be awesome. Dude, there would
1: be some, people would be getting hammered, going in the lane. Yes, It'd be like the old
0: days, yeah, where people actually cared about the All Star Game. And
1: then even this, how about this? How about you call your own fouls? How great would that be? Yeah, because the only thing that
0: <laughs> that would be good. You're
1: calling that? You're yeah. me into the ground. You're calling. that? Just make that? a
0: street ball, yeah. Because the only thing that is inter- semi interesting in the All Star Game, the NBA All Star Game right now, is that they might score 200 points. That's the exactly. only thing that's interesting. It, that's yeah. it. Will
1: Steph Curry hit like 43s or whatever. That's all they care about.
0: One more NBA story, sports medicine story, and then uh, we're going to have a short commercial break here. The Chicago Bulls guard, Chris Dunn, he fell face first after a dunk and dislocates his front two teeth. They get pushed backwards in his mouth, and he had to have emergent braces placed to hold his teeth in place, and now he's on the NBA concussion protocol. More than anything, the cool part of this story is, how cool would it be to tell your friends when you walk in with braces, you say, how'd you do that? Well, I was slamming the ball, and I – Flipped face first. I was so high and slammed my face into the ground. That's like the coolest story ever. That may be the coolest sports medicine injury, how it happened story of all time.
1: First of all, have you ever had that
0: happen to you, Ferris? Have you ever had that personally happen to you?
1: That's why I had to have braces. <laughs> but mine was I was dunking and I hit my mouth on the, on rim. the rim.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? How do you I didn't fa- duck
1: my head in. How do
0: you fall face first and hit your mouth on the ground? i do not know exactly sure. that. I don't know. I'm sure his boys
1: gave him a little uh, little grief about that one.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hey, when we come back, man, our next segment, we'll be talking a little bit more sports medicine and uh, sports entertainment, but we're also going to have on our Mental Minute coming up in this next segment. Stay tuned here with us on Docs & Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. This is Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter. Ferris, we are very, very honored this week to have on a uh, good friend of uh, our coach, Hal Mummy, who was a good friend of Docs and Jocks, Coach Mike Leach, the head football coach at uh, Washington State University. He's also an air raid innovator, one of the offensive uh, geniuses of college football and all football. Coach Leach, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you, uh, Obviously, we've talked to Coach Hal Mummy who was here in Abilene, Texas. He was uh, at McMurray University, and we've talked to him about the air raid offense. You've been with Coach Mummy at several uh, different stops. We all, you all were at Valdosta State in Kentucky, and uh, you were the guy that was really the offensive mind, putting that air raid offense into practice. Talk about how you, uh, when you originally started uh, looking at that style of football, how it came about and how it's become what it is now.
5: Well, well, the biggest way that came about, the two best offenses at that time were uh, Oklahoma running the wishbone, uh, who got the ball in everybody's hand. All the skilled players touched the ball out of the wishbone. And then uh, Brigham Young University, uh, who, uh, you know, threw it. They uh, threw it all the time and, and threw it really from sideline to sideline and downfield. So they covered a lot of space. and I, And I guess our effort was to try to. Combine the benefits of both of those offenses, and uh, we wanted everybody to touch the ball, and we wanted to be able to attack the whole field. Uh, in the end, our offense looks a lot more like uh, like BYU's, but there's a uh, BYU's did back then, and uh, but the, you know, with a heavy consideration on all the all the skill positions touching the ball,
0: right. And you mentioned uh, BYU University. It's interesting. Uh, you actually were a rugby player back in uh, college playing for BYU at that point in time. It had to be uh, – did you take some of those rugby skills and bring them to the uh, next level of college football that you learned playing rugby? We talk about a lot about rugby tackling now and those types of things. Did that help you with your experience as a college football coach?
5: It didn't hurt. I mean, it was, uh, it was helpful because we had a lot of cultures on the rugby team. Guys, I mean, we had uh, – Heck, we had New Zealanders, South Africans, Maoris, Tongans, Fiji, and Samoans. I mean, we had uh, people wow. from all over Australia, stuff like that. But, um, um, you know, just kind of uh, blending all kinds of different people, uh, backgrounds, and personalities. And then, of course, you know, rugby's uh, big on the whole, uh, uh, you know, spread the field and get an overlap. So right. I think some of those concepts were helpful. Um, you know, rugby tackling. I think a lot's made out of it. I think it's really good, but it's just good, solid fundamental tackling. And you have to be a little more uh, fundamentally sound. At least you're certainly inclined to rugby because uh, you're less protected.
1: Right?
0: Exactly. Farris had a coach for a question for Coach Leach. Hey coach,
1: so when you guys first started doing these tweaks and and, and doing this air raid offense, what did other coaches say? Because there was the more of that traditional, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust type of football. How did other coaches respond when you started throwing this offense out at them?
4: Uh, they
5: always said, you know said it wouldn't last. Uh, said it wasn't real football. <laughs> said you you couldn't really do it. Uh, said wait till you play a good team. You know, I mean all the all the stuff. You know. Uh, basically all the stuff that every offense that revolutionized football, uh, experienced. I mean, um, a lot of doubters, you know, the one thing, <clears throat> three yards and a cloud of dust, it does kind of, uh, uh, it camouflages poor coaching because it slows the whole game down. And then, you know, it's like, uh, uh, somehow there's something a little more protected, a little more secure in that. And In other words, if you do that, well, you're a good, sound, smart coach, which I don't believe any of that, obviously. But, um, um, you know, uh, since it's it's, uh, more conventional, I guess, uh, you know, people that uh, don't want to invest a lot of time and effort in coaching will try not to innovate beyond that because they feel more protected in that space, you know?
2: Right.
1: You know, coach, you and coach Mummy, who we've talked to, obviously pretty confident guys. Did you ever doubt yourselves when you were implementing this and starting it, or was it just like full speed ahead? Well,
5: uh, there was some trial and error to it. I mean, we, uh, we knew that some things were going to work and be beneficial and some things weren't. And so there were, you know, there was some of that. I mean, it's like, uh, okay, this, uh, this looked good on the on the chalkboard, but it's not very good on the field. So, <laughs> you know, we, we would cut plays, too. I mean, in, in a lot. I mean, cut a lot of, tried a lot of plays, cut a lot of plays. And then, um, uh, you know, in the end, uh, settled on, but we, we, we always had kind of a foundation of, uh, you know, these are kind of our key plays and, and uh, uh, that we're going to really emphasize. And then, you know, but and it was always you know, well, how do we get this the ball? The guy the ball. How do we get this guy the ball, or how do we attack this space or this area? And um, you know, as we did that, uh, I mean, we uh, <clears throat> either stole or borrowed or discovered or backed into a bunch of pretty good things, and then uh, you know, and the biggest key and the toughest thing, I guess, is packaging it up because. You have to make choices on what you're going to be good at and a lot of it looks good and you'd like to do all of it you know but you, you can't you don't have you don't have time to do all the things you'd like
0: you know we all know in college football we're talking to coach Mike leach of Washington State uh, University here on Docks and Jocks and one of the things that you're always trying to do is become a great recruiter or be a great recruiter of these young talents and I, I cannot imagine uh, not wanting to go to a program like uh, the offenses you've had at all the different places you've been uh, where if you were a young wide receiver or a young quarterback and you want to be, you know, throwing the ball around, I can't imagine that those players would not want to go to a program like yours. Has it helped you with recruiting, especially with the seven on seven world with these great receivers and quarterbacks out there now has helped you recruiting, having this style of offense?
5: I think it has, you know, it's, it certainly hasn't hurt. I don't think it's hurt at all. Uh, and I think it's helped with linemen some too, because, uh, so much pass protection going on in the NFL and that type of thing and, right um, you know and it's it's very uh, that's a, that's a, a very technical skill so we try to do a good job teaching that
0: you know we uh, have had Hal mummy on our show and we've talked about his coaching tree and you're part of that coaching tree but you have your own coaching tree you've had coaches like Sonny Dykes and uh, Daner Hogerson as well as uh, Cliff Kingsbury now art briles so talk about that it has to be uh, somewhat of one of the things you're uh, most excited about when you talk about being in years of college football, having guys follow you and be part of your coaching tree.
5: Well, I've had the opportunity to coach with a lot of really good guys, and uh, uh, you know that all of them brought some kind of experience, some different to the table that I thought was helpful. And, and uh, but I'm happy for them that they've gone on to have, uh, you know, have success elsewhere.
0: Right,
1: right. Ferris? Hey, coach, I got to ask you. Does the defensive coordinator ever come to you and say, I love the fact you're putting these points on the board, but slow down. My guys are tired. Give us a rest.
5: You know, uh, I don't – you know, I, I haven't had a lot of that. Uh, uh, I haven't had a lot of that. Of course, I think that's a very foolish argument. Um, you know, because uh, uh, the, the, the greatest uh, ball control, the greatest you – know, is points nothing replaces points, you know, and right, right. and I don't I don't believe there's such a thing as scoring too fast either. The ultimate ball control is get an extra seven because you not only get the, the time that you ran off the clock getting that seven, you also get the time that it takes the other guy to match that seven, you know. And uh, uh, but as far as uh in in you know we we uh, we. Kind of control the ball. First of all, we're almost never three and out, and I, I think that's a cardinal sin. If you're ever three and out, that's that's a nearly unforgivable, in my opinion. And um, and then uh, I try to gauge it all by uh, uh, we want to have more plays than the other team. We want to have, in other words, we want their defense on the field more, so that the, in, in in addition offensively, we want uh, more opportunities to score. Um, so we want to have more plays. We want to lead in first downs, and we want to lead in third down conversions. And, uh, you know, there's uh, the only place where that breaks down is if you score in one play. As I say, uh, uh, you know, nobody, nobody wants the points off the board, even the most crotchety of defensive coordinators. I mean, you scored too fast. All right. Well, I'll go across the field. I'll tell the guy, you know, the coach on, you know, we'll get the ref and we'll tell the guy, look here, uh, if it's okay with you, we'll just go ahead and pull that ball out of the end zone, take the points off the board, and spot it on the fifty. I mean, in almost every instance, that guy would let you. I mean He'd be very happy with that, you know. So, exactly. Uh, but it would it would let you know, and then of course wouldn't get as many first downs on that particular driver. Third down conversions, but uh, uh, despite the, the occasional, uh, you know, real, real explosive play, I've always felt if we could lead in those three categories, then we were doing a good job controlling the ball
0: right and we're talking to coach mike leach here on docks and jocks and coach leach it also has to be rewarding for you to watch games football games on sunday as well when you see your players who you coach go on to have success in the nfl guys like wes welker danny Amendola, manny ramirez luis vasquez michael crabtree there's not enough time to mention all of them but that has to be very rewarding for you to watch those games as well
5: yeah those guys were all tough gritty guys and all played in the Super Bowl and then um you know, one time I had uh, three offensive linemen at a time at Detroit. And then of course Louie and Manny played beside each other in those Super Bowls for Denver. Yes. Yeah. And uh and of course West played in Super Bowls for both uh Denver and New England. And uh and and Danny's uh you know, Danny's kinda of followed West certain New England, but Danny when he was at Saint Louis uh, uh led the NFL in all purpose yards. Yeah.
1: A lot of success, Ferris. Coach, how's the uh, Cougars going to be this year in the uh, Pac-12? What do you think?
5: I think? we should be pretty good. I think we're better than last year. We're getting, we've had a good camp, uh, and you know we're kind of getting incrementally better. We just biggest thing is to improve each week, you know. Um, but uh, you know, we do have some, uh, I think, inspired effort out there.
0: It has to help your players coming off a great season like last year, nine and four, won a Sun Bowl. So you have to feel encouraged by you know you are heading the right direction, and those guys just got their really a good taste of victory. It has to help having a winning season the previous year before having a looking towards this season, knowing that you're going to do it again.
5: I think I think that, that definitely helped. You know, I thought I thought we had a really good spring. I thought we had you know inspired work in the off seasons, and I think that's where the character of the team's really built is in the offseason so and i and i think i think our guys have really done a good job of getting the most out of that good
1: coach hey coach one thing i've always wondered with the specific type of offense you run and i don't know if I, i'm i don't know if you would consider it the same type of thing rich rodriguez does or whatever but when you guys go to a different school how long does it take you to recruit players to your offense, or can you go in there and usually find guys existing on the team to kind of get you through, but how long does it take you to, you can really implement everything you want to do?
5: Um, I think you can do it pretty fast. It kind of, you know, it's not like, uh, uh, I mean, obviously you need some receivers and you need a quarterback that can throw strikes instead of just uh, some project guy, but, um, and, and you need him to, make good decisions. I think for the most part, uh, you can do it pretty quick. What you're looking for is runners and hitters. If you get somebody that will run and hit, you definitely, um, uh, that's what Bobby Bowden used to say, runners and hitters. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, if you have runners and hitters and guys that really, you know, want to be football players, um, you can accelerate it pretty quick. Uh, and obviously, you know, here in the case here, uh, our talent level was so down. We had to we had to generate a lot higher talent level. And, and yeah. For the last couple of years, you know, we've had freshmen beat out starters, uh, and then you know our, our next freshman class would be better than the last freshman class beat out some of them. So we've had um, um, our recruiting classes kind of playing leapfrog. It's starting to level out. Uh, now, but uh yeah, we are quite a ways down as far as uh as far as manpower that first uh year here we uh averaged about six two or six three and about two sixty five up front and uh You know, and I'm not talking a big, solid, vicious 265 either. I'm talking, (laughs) you know, kind of a squishy, uh, sometimes waddly 265. Not not
0: runners and hitters. Not runners and hitters. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, coach. Well, this one.
5: So we're in scout team, and this still pisses me off. So we're in scout team, and um, or uh, you know, we we're we're offense versus the scout team, and. this guy, uh, uh, our our starting guard gets into it with this strong safety, uh, you know, kind of a tough kid from, uh, uh, Miami. Well, anyway, so they, they start, you know, the whole thing where they shove each other after the play and, uh, uh, they shove each other after the play and, um, uh, the, the strong safety keeps coming, comes and just keeps shoving the, the starting guard. He's shoving the starting guard around. Scout team strong safety sho- shoving the starting guard around. And the guard turns and goes to the huddle because he knows, he, he knows that strong safety. is fully prepared to fight him right then, right there. And then uh, that's our starting guard. Well, if, if you're the right type of starting guard, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to kind of look over at your friends and laugh and then put your big hand up in the guy's uh, head or helmet and just sort of start moving it around and and kind of uh fiddling with him like he's a guinea pig or something. And then uh and then as you as you witness this react, turn and turn and chuckle with your friends and then uh you know, not hurt the strong safety, but jostle him around a little bit, uh, uh enjoy yourself and then and turn back to the rest of the group laughing. That's how that's supposed to work, but that's not how it works.
0: <laughs> well, well, Coach Leach, uh, Coach Mummy told us uh, you'd be a great interview, and obviously you were. We appreciate you so much coming on the show. I do want to tell our listening audience we've been uh, talking football, but Coach Leach was also he is also a movie star and had a cameo on Friday Night Lights. So a little known fact about uh, Coach Leach. So so I want to thank you so much for coming on, uh, Docs and Jocks, and uh, hey, be sure and tell our good friend uh, Coach Mummy that uh, we said thank you for uh, coming on the show.
5: Well, thank you so much. Uh, tell everybody to buy my book, Swing Your Sword, and my book, uh, Geronimo.
0: Absolutely. Swing Your Sword and Geronimo, two of uh, other Coach Leach's passions, uh, looking into Pirates and as well as uh, Geronimo. We'll do. Look forward to the read. Thank you, Coach. Thank you so much. Okay. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after the short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan. Hey, enjoy this interview brought to you by our good friend, Jim Train Ward, who we will dearly miss. So long, Train. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Comes to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. If you're just catching our show for the first time want to find out more about our show, go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Won't want to miss... Uh, what You can find out how to follow us on social media there on docsandjocks.com. Hey, we're very excited about our next interview. We're honored to have on longtime big country native Case Keenum, current uh, starting QB for the uh, St. Louis Rams case, Los <laughs> Angeles Rams, uh, out in sunny uh, Los Angeles. So, Case, have you gotten used to saying uh, Los Angeles Rams versus St. Louis Rams yet? I know I haven't.
4: Yeah, I, I, I certainly haven't. Uh probably be st louis uh for a while until uh until we get out there and start enjoying the 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 sandy beaches and the 75 degree weather
0: i saw where jeff fisher's already talked about uh, in an interview he was saying uh, he's going to have a meeting with the team talking about uh, trying to make sure that you stay focused it's a little maybe harder to stay focused when you're playing in la versus uh st louis so uh that's probably the case
4: uh there's a lot of there's a lot of outside noise that happens no matter where you're at but uh when we walked in for our first little media day during, you know, that team meeting we had, um, you could tell it was not—it uh, was not the Midwest yeah. anymore for sure. So, um, you know, but it's exciting, man. It's—it's it's Los Angeles. It's, uh, it's the West Coast, and we've had a great reception so far from fans and and people that I've met. So we're we're really excited. And uh,
0: Case, for those who don't know, or who are listening outside of our Big Country area, but Case was the uh, NCAA's all-time leader in total passing yards, touchdowns, and completions at University of Houston. Case, do you still follow their program pretty closely, uh, University of Houston?
4: Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually headed over there right now. They had practice this morning, and I'm, I'm going over there to use the field to, uh, uh, to throw a little bit with some, some guys that I played with on the team. Awesome. And then, uh, you
0: know, it's obviously uh, recently been named the starter for uh, the Los Angeles Rams next year. Had to be exciting to hear that news. I mean, it's always a, a grind in the NFL. You're one of those guys I even remember at Wiley High School standing on the sideline. I'll tell a story real quick. I was standing next to uh, some guys who write a big publication for Texas high school football, and they were talking about how uh, the Wiley team was overrated and uh, Case Keenum, you know, wasn't the prototypical quarterback and uh, didn't know if he was going to go to Division One. And I talked to these guys, I said, man, I've been watching this guy's career since he was a sophomore in high school, even before that. And this guy is everything he's built to be. I'm not sure what you're talking about, not fitting the prototypical quarterback status, but let me just tell you, he's going to win this game tonight. And then you led the uh, game-winning drive, took us down the field, a 40-yard run to put us in contention to kick the uh, winning field goal and, and won the game. And those guys looked at me that night and said he's right. And you've done that at every level, then go on to University of Houston where you're somewhat underrated there. You've set every NCAA record, and now you're with uh, the St. Louis Rams after being in the NFL several years, finally being named the starting quarterback. It has to be, uh, you're not only, has to be a good, great moment for you, but we're very proud for you here being your biggest fans in the big country.
4: Well, thanks, Doc. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride, uh, you know, all along the way. Along the way, uh, you know, only had one scholarship offer coming out of high school. Um, you know, was undrafted coming out of college, and, uh you know, really that a lot of people tell me I can't do things right. and I tell high school kids this all the time, or, you know, young kids who want to go up and do, you know, whatever their dream is. If it's football, if it's, you know, it's football or if it's other sports, or even if it's not sport related, um, you know, don't let people tell you that you can't do something because you're not good enough, smart enough, tall enough, strong enough. Um, you know, if you work hard enough and, uh, and put your mind to it, um, you know, that's, that's all you can do. And, uh, uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's only yourself that really can tell you that you can't do something, that you can't accomplish your goal. So, exactly. um,
0: Well, you're a great example of that, Case. I think, Ferris, you had a question for Case Keenum?
1: Yeah, Case, how, how did you do that? I mean, I, I know that you used that to fuel you and make you better. Was that just a natural competitiveness in you? A lot of people would just get kind of angry and bitter about that, hearing that all the time, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Was that natural to you, or did you use uh, somebody help you out to, to be able to take that and channel it? And uh, you know, channel into your competitiveness and be a good ball player.
4: You know, it's uh, it's a good it's a good way to channel and, and work hard in off season, like these workouts are going through now. It's a good way to to kind of get some motivation in off season when you don't feel any. Um, but uh, but honestly, I, I try not to focus too much on that. I've got enough people like Dr. Dan in my corner that uh, um, you know that have supported me along the way. They were he was sitting there arguing with the Texas High School football coaches, guy, you know, whoever it was that I was that I could play and you know they said I couldn't. So I've i got I've got people like that everywhere. Um uh including my family, friends, close friends and uh and teammates that have been there along the way. So, um, you know, I, I try not to, to focus too much on the, the negatives and I try to prove people right that have that have believed in me all along. My coaches, uh, you know, from, from Wiley High you know, from Wiley there, Coach Sandiford and all those guys to college, um all the all the coaches I had in college, someone Sumlin, Hogerson, Kingsbury Uh, Montgomery, Levine, all all the way through there. Um, I try to prove those people right more than prove people wrong.
0: You know, one of the other things, Case, that I was privileged to see that probably the people who just just saw you as a football player, you were also just a great athlete from a very young age. You were an excellent basketball player, you know, a track star. So it wasn't just that you were a great football player, but you were a multi-sport player that I think added into your complete package of being, you know, a a great quarterback. Talk to that for these young athletes. So There's a lot of kids driving around probably today listening to our show, and they would like to know how they'd become the next Case Keenum. Do you think being that multi-sport athlete helped you become the overall quarterback that you eventually turned into by playing other sports
4: i definitely think so um you know i think uh for one that every high school kid um should play as many sports as you can um, as long as they're not interfering too much with and if you want to specify you know or you know specialize i guess you should say uh you can i know a lot of kids are doing that these days but and I I stopped playing baseball after my sophomore year, and you know because I wanted to get a college football scholarship. And um, the team went on to win star, to play at the state tournament my senior year, and I had to go you know buy a ticket and watch the game in the stands. And I was I was ate up because all my buddies were on the team, and you know had a lot of memories that I didn't get to have with them. So um, I tell I tell high school kids play as many sports you can as long as you can. It does carry over. I'm still. Um, I you know talk to receivers about running routes. It's like basketball. It's just getting yeah. open. Uh, you know, for me, my throwing motion. It's a lot like a you know either a a, a pitcher uh, combined with a batter's you know the torque combined with a golf swing. So, um, you know all, all these different things. It all there's a lot of stuff that carries over. And then uh, my dad always told me that a good quarterback always ran the intermediate hurdles. So. Uh, you know, I've I held that against him for a long time, but uh, I think it did help keep me in, in shape during the awesome.
0: Yeah. Ferris, I think you had a question for Case?
1: We, yeah, Case, we were talking about all the folks in your corner who believe in you. Obviously, Jeff Fisher does. Uh, what, what's Jeff Fisher like, your experience with him as, as your head coach?
4: Uh, coach? Coach Fish is, uh, I mean, he's he's the best, man. Uh, you know, I really can't tell, uh, tell you enough good things about him, just uh, the player's coach that he is. Um, uh you know, the trust and just when when you want to go out there and lay it down on a line for a guy, um, you know, that, that uh you know I think that, that breeds success and uh and that's a great culture that uh you know that he's built in uh, um you know was St. Louis and now LA and uh you know I'm I'm excited to be a part of the move. Um he's taking care of us every Single step of the way uh that's you know part of the meeting that we had was you know making sure we're all on the same page making sure our wives were all on the same page and knowing how it's all going to work out but uh um you know he's the best he's a lot of fun i remember throwing a touchdown in in seattle and uh uh running over to the sideline and you know everybody's kind of you know celebrating going crazy and i look over and, you know some guy was hat turned around backwards jumping around screaming and I'm, i I'd take a second it's coach fisher you know running around i'm like oh wow so it was a lot of fun man he's uh he's a great coach and uh and a great person he likes to hunt and fish so we've we've uh you know always got that in common which is fun
0: Well, Coach, Jeff Fisher's obviously uh, meant a lot to you, but not as much as the uh, greatest coach you ever probably played for or played with, which is uh, your dad, Coach Steve Keenum, who was a longtime uh, football coach at McMurray University as well as Hardin-Simmons University and uh, obviously was instrumental in your career. Uh, You're coming back to help him. Uh, He's now the uh, president of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in the big country area, and you're coming back for their 19th annual FCA golf uh, tournament on February, April 1st. So talk to a little bit about your dad and uh, the golf tournament you're coming back helping him with.
4: Yeah, my dad... um... You know, stuff. Coaching was able to come watch me play after uh, uh, he retired from coaching. Um, I don't know; it's been ten or fifteen years ago, and just went full time FCA there. Uh, FCA is a, a, a huge, huge, you know, worldwide ministry. Really, um, for for athletes, coaches, uh, and even if you just want to call yourself an athlete, I think that having uh, FCA is for you is, yep. is the way I, I see it. But uh, great ministry, man. We 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 support the coaches who support the the players. Uh, there's, there's summer camps that, that uh, you know kids can go on uh, retreats there's there's weekly huddle meetings that they have at the schools and uh, you know they do a great job um, you know, with a lot of stuff so um, FC is a big part of, of my life of my testimony of why I came to know Jesus Christ and uh, I know it's a lot of other people's too so um, coming back in town we have a golf tournament next Friday um, it's I think it's Friday afternoon but Charles Cootie and I we're um, hosting it out at Diamondback, and uh, there's still teams available if you uh, if you want to buy a team or individual uh, slots. I may I may be out there on uh, number eight, a little par three. See uh, you know see if you can you know maybe maybe uh, a little wager. See who can uh, get it closest <laughs> to the pin. I'm going to be teeing off there all day, so we'll see awesome. we'll see how that goes. Uh, but it should be a good time regardless, and everything goes to FCA. Um, you know, supporting the, the coaches and kids of uh, you know, big country athletics and uh it's uh it's a, it'll be a it'll be a fun deal and uh, you know, whoever can come out, come on out.
0: Hey we're talking to NFL quarterback Case Keenum. Fair, you have a question?
1: Hey Case, uh if you played around with Charles Cootie, who'd shoot a lower score right now?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've played a few times with him and uh I I may I may end it a little further than him, but for some reason, he hits it a lot straighter than me, and it his, his tends to go in the cup a lot sooner than mine does.
0: For those who don't know who Charles Cootie is, uh, maybe listening, uh, outside our listening audience, uh, Charles Cootie was a 1971 Masters champion that is also from the big country area here around Abilene, Texas. So, hey, one of the, you've won tons of awards, uh, Case, and uh, if I started to list them off, it's, the list is too long. One of the ones I was reading through, though, it made me stop and think uh, – you won the 2011 Sammy Baugh Trophy, and Sammy Baugh, uh, Slingin' Sammy Baugh, was a quarterback back in the 1930s and 40s, and is uh, possibly one of the greatest uh, quarterbacks and kickers in the NFL ever. Still holds a lot of awards, yeah. a lot of uh, records. But for you, uh, from Abilene, Texas, in the big country area, to be a named the 2011 Sammy Baugh Trophy Award winner, I thought, man, that's maybe the two greatest quarterbacks to ever come out of our area. That had to be kind of neat for
4: you. Yeah, it was really neat. It was really neat because uh, he was a he's a Snyder tiger, right? And then yeah. a, a TCU guy,
0: right? and Again, out of Sweetwater too. He, uh, at the last part of his life, he lived in a ranch and out in Sweetwater.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I was very honored for that. Um, I think we, I don't know if we won it two years or not, but I know 2011, and uh, it's just a testament to our team, man. We uh, we had a lot of guys that could uh, that could catch the ball and could move and could run and uh, and could fly, and our offensive line did a great job and. Um, you know we got to play for Coach Sumlin there, and uh, you know that offense that uh, Dana Hogerson and Cliff Kingsbury put in, and you know obviously they're doing so well with now. So yeah. uh, it was fun, man. Records, uh, you know, we set a bunch of records, and uh, which you know we we tried to put up there as, as high as we could, but they will be broken one day. So that's uh, you know we'll see we'll see how that goes. But uh, we had a lot of fun, man. It was great, and uh, like I said, it was it was an honor to, to win an uh, an award, another West Texan. Uh, yeah. you know, was named after, right?
0: Hey, we're also very excited. Hopefully, you're, you're going to break more awards, uh, break more uh, records in the NFL. Tell us a little about uh, come up to speed now. Where the Los, An- or Los Angeles Rams are this year, and kind of what you're hoping for this season.
4: You know, we're excited, man. We're excited about this season. We, have you know, obviously got a really, really good, uh, good defense, and uh, that that has been the case for the last couple of years. And and we were really close this past year. I mean, we're we're a few plays away from. Um, you know being a playoffs uh, contender and uh you know something that uh, that we're all itching for we've we've been close we've tasted it a little bit and uh, uh you know I think we're all really really hungry for that uh, you know obviously we've got a pretty good guy to hand the ball to and Todd Gurley. so uh, that uh that makes my job a little bit uh a little bit easier with with a guy like that who uh, not only can run the ball but can pick up pick up protections as well. He's he's pretty stout, uh, you know, when they try to pressure. So, uh we're excited, man. It's it's a new town, new city. Um yeah. you know I'm excited uh, you know, for the off season with uh you know the support that Coach Fisher's already showed. Um, you know, just trying to take a little ownership of of the team and of offense and of leadership. So we're a young team, um and uh, you know, I think we, we've got a lot of potential and uh I think you can look for uh look for the Rams coming out of the West uh competitive this year. I'm I'm really excited. It's awesome.
0: Ferris?
1: Hey, Case, I know I just saw that you guys are going to actually be featured on Hard Knocks uh, this year, you know. And yeah. so if you need any advice on that, you know, Dr. Dan, he danced <laughs> in a live uh, media event, the app Dancing with the Stars. So he's got some experience with that that type of TV if you need any advice on that. I think that may be
0: the two most far apart things in the world, ABling Dancing with the Stars and Hard Knocks, NFL Hard Knocks. I don't think they want me. I'm just going to tell you right up front, Case, After, especially after I danced, you really don't want no, me. No, some advice. Some oh, advice some advice? for Case, how to handle it. Yeah, uh, I was so nervous. I can't give it advice about it. That's how nervous I was, Case. So yeah, no, that's exciting, yeah. y'all show are gonna be on the hard knocks. I didn't realize that.
4: Yeah, we uh they announced it I guess just you know, yesterday or the day before and uh I don't know, in the NFL it's kinda I don't know, everybody kinda has different opinions about it and it's it's just <laughs> it's just interesting that uh, I mean it's like if I were to come into your office right now yeah and install cameras into every room <laughs> and follow you around with yeah. three video cameras all day every day um yeah. you know if, if if you'd enjoy that for, for four <laughs> weeks and training camp is pretty stressful yeah. regardless and you add all that on top of it um you know but it would be fun it'd be great great platform uh for me um you know you know you, you see a lot of other things on there but uh yeah. you know i think uh you know sharing my faith just uh Absolutely. and not not necessarily having to be outspoken just the way i live and talk and yeah. uh what I do, so I uh, plan on doing that and, uh, and being who I am and having a little fun while I'm at it.
0: Well, Case, we appreciate you coming on Docs and Jocks. You're one of our favorite uh, quarterback uh, in the NFL. Obviously followed your career since you were a young high school player at Wiley High School. We wish you all the best. Hope you continue breaking records you've done all the way throughout your career at high school, college, and the NFL. Hey, don't forget, Case will be in town uh, April 1st, uh, this coming Friday for an FCA Golf 19th Annual uh, Fellowship event, so don't want to miss that. You can find out more about that by going to FCA uh, Abilene, their website, and you can uh, get to for that case thank you so much for being on docs and jocks
4: thanks, dr. Dan. thanks guys
0: all right hey we'll be right back after this short commercial break
2: you're listening to docs and jocks brought to you in part by buffalo wild wings first financial bank and mdi abilene touchdown now back to more docs and jocks with dr dan and ferris
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. Hey, if you ever missed a previous episode and want to go back and uh, catch maybe a previous interview like the ones we've had today, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Or you can also uh, listen to us anytime, anywhere on our iTunes app, uh, podcast Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And you can listen to us and subscribe to us and anytime, anywhere. You can catch your favorite uh, sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Hey, Ferris, I thought we would uh, finish the segment here talking about a couple of cool stories in the news. Of, uh, well, it's really, it's really kind of sad in a way, but also it takes us back to our childhood. Uh, th- we lose three of our favorite, um, I don't know what you call them. Two of them are favorite broadcasters, and one of them is my favorite uh, umpire. We lost uh, this week Major League Baseball umpire and Hall of Famer Doug Harvey. Uh, We also Mm -hmm. lost Keith Jackson, the uh, famous college football announcer. Whoa, Nellie is his favorite one. And then you got Dick Enberg, and Dick Enberg, uh, you know, was both a baseball announcer. I remember him doing the Olympics. He did it for 60 years. So let's just kind of go through the three of them and talk about what we remember about them most. So Keith Jackson, he was a college football analyst. His his uh, last game to ever do the famous one was the Rose Bowl, University of Texas versus uh, University of Southern uh, California when you know he had Vince Young on the Texas side. I think it was Matt Leinert on USC side. You know, the two top teams in the nation go out in the Rose Bowl. And he had the famous catch line of Woe Nelly. So I thought in tribute to Keith Jackson, we would go ahead and play that catch line. And let's listen to our favorite one, Keith Jackson, do a Woe Nelly.
2: Whoa, Nelly!
0: I love that. I love I just mm-hmm. like hearing him say that. I can hear him. Do it again, Vincent. Whoa, Nelly. Give it one more time because Keith Jackson. Whoa, Nelly. He was so good. I'm going to miss that on, on uh, listening to Saturday football games. I just say him. He was, he was just a lot of fun. It's kind of like the NFL for me was, was John Madden. I love listening to him. I love listening right. to Keith Jackson. And one of the things I think that you shared with us, Ferris, was he had a great quote. He had amplify, clarify, pronu- uh, punctuate, and stay the hell out of the way. That was his advice yeah. for sports broadcasters. And you're a sports broadcaster yourself. I mean, do you think that is, uh, kind of sums up what you need to do as a sports broadcaster?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one is stay out of the way. I mean, so many broadcasters, because of the whole advent of ESPN, they've carried it over to broadcasting. They, they want to they be the story. They want to have the catchphrases. They want to have the cool things they say. And you can tell it's kind of more about them than the game. It's always about the game, you know. And I think the older guys knew that. They They just felt really fortunate to be a part of it. And now, guys, kind of are like, oh, I've got to distinguish myself. I've got to come up with my thing, my niche, my. And it's kind of like the whole ESPN catchphrase thing, kind of blending over. So, I yeah, I'm still. There's a lot of great young ones or middle aged ones too, but I still love the old guys because they did. I mean, we remember them, but they they did stay out of the way for the most part, you know.
0: You know, we talked about the Case Keenum uh, miracle in Minneapolis being maybe one of the greatest NFL games. I think the Keith Jackson game, where he did the uh, University of Texas versus USC game, that was one of the most memorable. College football games, I, I remember, I mean, it, it was a great one. It came right down the very end, Vince Young, you yeah. know, pulling it out. So, one of the great games of all time as well. And then uh, we lost another great one, Dick Enberg. Dick Enberg did a 60-year broadcasting career. His catchphrases were, touch them all. Uh, he also, uh, that's, he did that one for home runs. He was the Angels and the Padres broadcaster. Do we have any Dick Enberg ones? Do we pull up him at all? Let's do a Dick Enberg uh, tribute here. Just listen to his. Oh, one.
2: my. My touchdown oh my six five
0: three-pointer yes. oh his famous one was the oh my <laughs> the dick Enberg, if you didn't catch that the one was uh, touch touch ball with home runs and oh my but i remember him yeah. too uh i always remember his voice being part of the olympics i think he was part of maybe when nbc had the olympics and you had dick Enberg doing that but uh do you remember him dick Enberg? was he one of your favorites too ferris
1: yeah, he was always good too. He was real more easygoing easy and uh, and and calmer, and had a real smooth delivery. And smooth. He always struck me as kind of a a gentleman of the broadcasting world, you know. Or, uh, you know, a real real professional. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, I, I loved oh my, you know, and his voice, and yeah, he was great.
0: Yeah, we're gonna lose two great voices there, Keith Jackson and Dick Enberg, and then we had Doug Harvey, and you and I remember him. He was always the tall, uh, major league umpire that had white hair. <laughs> his He's the fifth all-time 4,673 baseball games umpired. I love baseball fairs, but that's a lot of baseball games, 4,673.
1: That's a lot. That is
0: a lot. He was behind the plate in the famous Kirk Gibson World Series home run. People forget that. That's maybe the most famous home run. Kirk Gibson limps up to the plate. He'd been a mighty slugger for the Los Angeles Dodgers all, you know, the entire season. He doesn't play the entire game. He has two bad knees. He can barely walk. He limps to the plate against Dennis Eckerly, the the best closer in all of baseball with the, uh, you know, Oakland A's who are considered the best team in all of baseball. And Kirk Gibson hit the home run, and that was Doug Harvey behind home plate. Players called Doug Harvey. They nicknamed him God. Do you know why they would nickname (laughs) him God? Ferris, why would Doug Harvey be called God by the players?
1: I don't know. Because his voice from above told them that they were out or safe. Because he was never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he, cons-
0: he never considered himself wrong in any, in any uh, call he ever made. So, Anyway, <laughs> he was a Hall of Famer. He was inducted in just a few years ago to be an umpire. I think there's only three umpires in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So he's in, in rare air there for sure. And then Dick Enberg and Keith Jackson, two of the greatest. We'll have to say so long to some of our boyhood uh, heroes there. Hey, uh, Tim Tebow gets invited to the New York Mets spring training. Tebow was at High A at uh, St. Lucie last year for the for the New York Mets. He's been invited to the big league spring training. He hit last year. He hit two twenty six, eight home runs in one hundred and twenty six games at High A ball. He is now uh, going to be reporting to spring training February seventeenth. Do you think it's based on Tim Tebow's talent, or do you think it's based on Tim Tebow's? Name and reputation, appears so he's getting invited to spring training.
1: Well, I think it's both. I mean, I think he showed that he's. I mean, he hasn't played baseball in a long time, and he's made it incredible strides. I mean, in in the, in the amount of time he has been playing, so it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and and good for him. I mean, this is a guy who gets hammered for everything he does. So good for him, and and good for the Mets for calling him up. You know, you yeah. got to see what you got. So put him up against some top talent, see what you got.
0: You realize this guy didn't play baseball for about a period of ten years. He didn't play a baseball game, really, probably at any level. And he goes out and he goes up against some of the greatest baseball players in the in the world. High A ball, by the way, I would say that if you were a regular Joe, just off the street at uh, age thirty, haven't played baseball since you're in high school, you wouldn't touch a high A baseball player. You wouldn't touch him. And Tim Tebow goes in there, and he hits two twenty six, hit eight eight home runs. I know it's not a high average, and he does he hit eight home runs in 126 games, so he probably equates to about 12 home runs in a regular baseball season. But uh, to be able to do that is absolutely remarkable. People don't realize how hard it is to hit a baseball, and especially after you haven't done it for about 10 years. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm rooting for Tim Tebow. I like him personally, so I'm glad he's doing what he is, and uh, hopefully he'll make it up to the big league show and play for the Mets. Hey, I thought this was a story on uh, – Taking care of yourself. You got to remember, if you are a coach, you have a lot of downtime. You spend a lot of time in uh, watching film. You are going home late hours after watching film and taking care of your team. You get there really early to have a lot of coaches' meetings and players' meetings. But you have to take care of yourself. And this was demonstrated by the University of Florida football coach, Billy Gonzalez. Billy Gonzalez's wife does their bills, uh, so she gets the credit card statement and pays the bills. And so she was going through. Billy Gonzalez, the football coach at University of Florida, going through these uh, credit card bills. And on one credit card bill, in one day, there was a bill for Dunkin' Donuts, Wendy's, Papacitos, and Burger King, which prompted mm-hmm. his wife, Mrs. Gonzalez, to, to uh, text her husband and say, quote, all in one day, really? With a little angry face. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, if you're a coach... You're preaching all the time to your players about staying healthy, taking care of your bodies, doing the right things. And then you've got to do it to yourself. Remember, if you're a coach out there listening, man, it's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of time that goes into it, a lot of effort. But when it all comes down to it, you've got to take care of number one or you're not going to be able to take care of anybody else. But it's kind of a joking story, but you really do as a football coach. I see a lot of overweight, out of shape, uh, poor health uh, coaches and I know it's a difficult position. I've been in the locker rooms with these guys and seen how much they work and how hard they work, but you really do have to take care
1: of yourself. Yeah, coaches are the worst at that. I mean, they're they're constantly working. They're typically workaholics. And, you know, every time you watch, which I love to watch, you'll watch like an ESPN thing or something about, you know, in the coaches going over a film or whatever. There's always like a bunch of bag of chips or there's licorice yeah. or there's candy or there's ice. They're all, always eating in those things. They're always sitting around, you know. And so it's it's hard to hard to stay fit and hard to keep an eye on your health. I mean, if you look around at most coaches, if you look at NFL coaches especially, it's hard to name like one. You go, oh, I bet that guy's pretty healthy. They all just seem like they're kind of a little bit overweight and they have bags under their eyes. Yeah. And they're You know, and they're, and they're falling apart.
0: They're definitely not going primal or uh, what's the other one? I always forget the other word you do. What's the other, your other diet you do? What's it called? Hey. Paleo. Paleo. Primal and paleo. paleo. It's neither one of those. We talked about those earlier in the show. So, yeah, neither one of those for sure Correct. going on in the University of Florida with Billy Gonzalez, who's uh, eating. In one day, in one day, he's eating Dunkin' Donuts, Wendy's, Papacitos, and Burger King. So, man, hopefully his wife got his attention and uh, will, they'll be eating better. Hey, the last story uh, is a difficult story to talk about, but I think it's one that uh, needs mentioning. It's been all over the news. The USA Gymnastics uh, coach in Michigan State Team doctor, uh, Larry Nasser. he has uh, pleaded guilty for child pornography and uh, he's accused of sexually abusing 125 female gymnastics uh, uh, athletes and vi- that have been victims under his tutelage. Uh, he was using a, a approach to help back pain, supposedly, using a vaginal or a rectal probe, uh, using his uh, digits. Let me just tell you, I'm in the back world. That's what I do. I see people with spine, all, spine injuries all day long. I know that I know of the technique. I've never seen it demonstrated. They do it sometimes for people who have uh, a dislocated coccyx, but you cannot tell me 125 female athletes had that condition. Mm-hmm. And by the way, even for the uh joint dislocation, that is the last treatment option that would ever be out there. I, and you have mm-hmm. to have a lot of a lot of consents from everybody, especially when dealing with young. You know, young, teenage, adolescent females. So, uh, no, I think this guy uh, was completely in the wrong, Mm. Dr. Larry Nasser. I don't think this is a a reasonable situation that you would be doing this for back pain to that many young female athletes. And uh, whatever, he was uh, playing with the judge not to have them be able to tell their story and to be able to (laughs) basically – vent on him they did they've been keeping this quiet for all these years you know holding it inside thinking they were the only one so they he told the judge it was hurting his uh, emotional uh, psyche to be having to listen to the victims of what he did to him so I agree with the judge and I'm glad she allowed the, the victims to get their day in court and so uh, Dr. Larry Nasser is probably going to be put away for a long long time but if a doctor ever tells you that he wants to uh, do a digital rectal probing to help with back pain that is quackery. Do not allow that to happen. There are professionals in the world that work in that area for different types of pelvic pain, but they're specialists. And uh, I I do not see this guy getting away with this, and hopefully he'll go away for a long time as he well deserves.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you what, man. That That's one of those things where if you hear any doctor tell you anything and you kind of – your first thought – because when you read it, your first thought is, what? Yeah, I know. Step back for a second yeah. and say, okay, lem- let me take that under advisement. Let me think about that one for yeah, a second. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I'll get back to you, you know? Yeah, it's
0: a crazy world we live in sometimes. And as parents, you know, we always try and do what's best for our kids, and we always try to protect them. But you really have to keep a vigilant eye. There are people out there trying to do bad things, even as uh, physicians. It's it's a very, very sad situation. Uh, sad world we live in sometimes so anyway that's kind of a sad note to end on here we just got a couple minutes left ferris uh let me get your take on uh we we haven't given you haven't given me your predictions yet i know we talked about the minnesota vikings and oh, man them. i know i'm gonna put you on the spot because you usually do pretty good trying to get away without i know you're oh, trying i didn't
1: think i did very good last time
0: <laughs> well you said that you went to the chiefs and you said it was only emotional that andy reed would find a way to lose the game and he did you you went with your You're sentimental, part of the Chiefs, but you knew that Andy Reid would find a way to lose the game, and he did. So now if you're taking the Philadelphia Eagles and the Minnesota Vikings, who are you taking?
1: Yeah, um, okay, so let me say this first. You're right. I'm I'm a former Chiefs fan. Yeah. I'm going to say it on the air. I am no longer rooting for the Chiefs as long as Andy Reid is their coach. I will come back when he leaves. I am now a Cleveland Browns fan because I don't want anybody to accuse me of being a bandwagon fan. So I'm starting at the bottom, but I think we might win three games next year. So go Browns. Yeah, you I'm got part like four
0: first-round picks or something, man. I don't think I that, know.
1: I think that is bandwagoning. It. You just need to pick the team that has no first-round picks,
0: which is probably like uh, – The Patriots? Yeah. You may be. You, no, no.
1: I'm, I, I'm all in on the Browns. I'm very excited about the Browns. we got John Dorsey up there, GM. I'm very excited. Sean Kaiser. I mean, his last name, Kaiser, like Kaiser Sose, you know, one of your favorite movies. <laughs> it is. I'm so excited about Unusual the Browns. I'm very, movie ever. I'm very excited. Okay, yeah, a great movie. Um, I'm very excited. Patriots
0: with a, I'm gonna, Tom gonna go, Brady's injury.
1: Uh, I don't care. I think it's I think Tom Brady is going to win. I'm going to go Patriots because I love how everybody says, oh, Jacksonville's got a great D. Didn't Ben Roethlisberger just throw five touchdown passes against him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. 41 How points. How good it is was. the
0: D? Yeah. It wasn't that great. So
1: I'm going with the Patriots. Okay. Never vote against the Patriots. because You heard you know. here first. You
0: got the Minnesota Vikings and the Patriots. You want Vikings-Patriots, yeah, right? The bikes.
1: No, I'll take the Vikes. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Vikings-Patriots. All right. There we go. Go Case Keenum, man. We're all of us here in his big country area where he grew up. is rooting for him. I, I tell you what. He's not only a great quarterback. I know him personally. He is a great man of character, and uh, he always – Thanks to Jesus Christ uh, for giving him the gift to play football. I think that's really cool as well. So, hey, for all of us here in the big country, we we'll to say good luck to the Case Keenum and the Minnesota Vikings. We also want to say thank you to our wonderful fans on Docs & Jocks. Hey, we will see you next week here on your favorite sports medicine radio show. Hey, thank you for being the listeners. Remember, you can listen to us anywhere, anytime on our iTunes podcast, Docs & Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. For myself, Dr. Dan, and Ferris, we'll see you next week.
6: Many times athletes can be easily discouraged by hearing negative feedback about themselves over and over. As they are trying to make it to the next level of play, they may hear they are too short, too small, or not athletic enough. This last year has definitely been a time to dispel those words. We have seen examples such as Jose Altuve from the World Series champions Houston Astros who despite his small stature was considered one of the best players in baseball this year. We are currently watching the amazing story of Minnesota Minnesota Vikings third string quarterback Case Keenum who is leading his team to a possible NFC championship and possibly a Super Bowl when he was dismissed over and over for being too small and just not good enough. But what makes these players so special? What is it that helps them to overcome the odds? I believe that most of it comes down to their hard work and perseverance. The great NBA player Magic Johnson summed this up perfectly when he said, talent is never enough. With few exceptions, the best players are the hardest workers. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we strive to help athletes develop perseverance and a strong work ethic. If you would like more information, you can contact us by clicking on our link at This has been your Mental Strength Minute.